Acts chapter 18 tonight. Acts chapter 18. Seeing if Jill texted me yet. No. Um, Again, the book of Acts is about Christ's vision for his church, and we're going to continue to see what that looks like and how that plays out here in the book of Acts. And so when you come to Acts chapter 18, we see that Paul has left the great city of Athens, and he's now traveling and entering into Corinth. And in the first few verses of Acts chapter 18, we see that he encounters a couple, a couple that we're going to uh, read about and talk about a little bit more, not only tonight, but in the chapters to come a couple by the name of Aquila and Priscilla. We find out that they are tent makers like Paul, and so there was sort of a, a commonality there, but also that they were believers in Jesus Christ. And you'll notice that the Bible tells us that Paul actually approached Aquila and Priscilla and reached out to them. And that this was going to be the start of not only a Christian friendship, but of a partnership, because later on in the book of Acts, in fact, even later on in this chapter, we're going to find out that Aquila and Priscilla actually accompany Paul to the city of Ephesus. And that's where then they make sort of their base of operations uh, for several years uh, after meeting Paul. You know, the point I want to make about this encounter is this. What you have here again is the importance of partnerships, of Christian friendship, of Christian fellowship. No matter how strong we think Paul the apostle was, Let's note that everywhere that Paul went, everywhere that Paul traveled, he was always looking for Christian fellowship. He was always looking to see if he could find some, some friends and some partners to be able to do life and ministry with. And that's what we need to do as well. Paul was not out there trying to be this great missionary on his own. He reached out to Aquila and Priscilla, and what happens here now in Corinth, again, is the start of a beautiful friendship and a beautiful partnership with this couple. You'll also note in verse 4 that after he entered into Corinth and, and got his legs about him, if you will, the Bible tells us he went into the synagogue and he began to try to attempt to persuade the Jews and the Greeks who were uh, attending the synagogue, that Jesus was the Christ. The thing I see there is in the phrase, attempting to persuade them. Paul was attempting to win them over to Jesus. He was attempting to win them over to our way of life, if you will, the way of God, the, the way of, of Jesus. And so I think you and I are challenged because... Are we living in such a way that we are able by our life and the way we live to win people over to Jesus and our way of living? Is there something compelling? Is there something attractive? Is there something engaging about the way we live life and do life as a Christian that literally people can be won over to our way of life, our way of thinking, and especially about what we think and what we believe about Jesus Christ. That's what Paul did when he entered into the synagogue. You'll notice then in verse 5, it tells us that when Silas and Timothy finally arrived and joined him, that Paul wholly became absorbed in proclaiming the word of God. Again, I want to direct your attention to that phrase, wholly absorbed in something. That's important. Um, in fact, Paul later on to the Colossians, 
encourages them to be absorbed in the ministry that God gives them. He tells Timothy to be absorbed in what God has entrusted to you so that many will see your progress, 1 Timothy 4.15. To be absorbed in something is to tr truly be occupied with it. To, to, it's, it's always there in front of us. It's what we are absorbed in. And so I just asked the question, what is it that we are absorbed with? And think about how dynamic the church of the Lord Jesus Christ would be if every Christian was totally and wholly absorbed in whatever ministry, whatever service God has called them to, whatever calling God has put on their life, whatever uh, God has entrusted to them at this moment. If you and I would just be, as Paul, wholly absorbed by it, what a difference it would make. Well, a lot of times, you know, maybe we're not giving the effort if you will, uh, we're not totally all in, but my goodness, Paul was certainly all in when it came to being a missionary and to taking the message of Jesus Christ to the world around him, and so that's what we see, but you'll notice again that the Bible tells us that Paul wasn't always met in his ministry with open arms. In fact, it tells us in verse 6 that the Jews began to oppose him and revile him, but I love Paul's reaction, and, and I wanted to, again, focus on this, because I think this is part of Christ's vision for his people. Not just that we would form friendships and partnerships and, and do life and ministry together, as he did with Aquila and Priscilla, and not only that we're trying to win people over and be totally absorbed in whatever God calls us to, but notice how Paul responded. The Bible says he protested by literally shaking off his clothes. It was, a, it was a Jewish way of basically shaking out his clothes, saying, I'm shaking this off and I'm moving on. And in fact, he goes on to say, your blood be upon your head. I'm guiltless. In other words, even though you have rejected the message of God through me, that's not on me. I'm not responsible for your rejection. I am just shaking this off, and I am moving on. And folks, all of us who are in ministry, all of us who are attempting to serve the Lord, there's always going to be times in our life where based upon opposition or rejection or whatever, you and I have to learn to just shake it off and move on. Not quit, not throw in the towel, not give up. In fact, sometimes it should actually make us more determined to just hang in there and not allow these things to sort of discourage us and negatively affect us. And all of us are going to go through that because it's hard. It's hard to face, you know, opposition and obstacles and challenges and all of that. But Paul was like, nope, I'm just going to move on. And he did. He decided, look, from now on, I'm going to the Gentiles. Now, it's not like Paul never witnessed to another Jew. It's not like Paul never went to the, another synagogue because we're going to see that he did. But particularly this synagogue in Corinth is like, nope, I'm done. I'm done beating my head against the wall. I'm going to go try to share with people that are more open and more receptive. It goes back to even what Jesus taught. Don't cast your pearls before swine. Don't, don't keep beating your head against the wall. Find people that are open and receptive to me working through you. And, and, and minister there. Now, again, not that it, we're ever going to find a perfect environment where everybody's going to embrace us. You, you and I will never find that. There will always be, you know, that. But for the most part, Paul was being totally blown off by the people here in this synagogue in Corinth. 
But I love this. God has such a, a sense of humor. So Paul leaves the synagogue, but notice where he lands. He lands in a house next to the synagogue. And the Bible tells us he, he lands in this guy's house named Titus Justice. And not only that, but then the Bible goes on to tell us that Crispus, basically the leader of the synagogue, he becomes a believer. His whole household becomes believers. Oh, and many other Corinthians believe and become baptized. It's like, okay, so you kick me out of the synagogue or so you don't want to have anything to be. God is bigger than that. And that's something that God wants us to see that, you know, looking at this on the outside, it'd be like, oh my goodness. How's God ever going to reach those people in a synagogue? Well, first of all, God is invisible and God works behind the scenes and God works on the heart and God doesn't, you know, need all the stuff that we may think he needs in order to bring people to him. That's where our faith has to kick in. And God was like, fine, I'll just put Paul just right next door. Can you imagine? Paul's probably there preaching real loud in the house next to the synagogue, and the people can't even go in and out of the synagogue without hearing the gospel, you know? That's the way it works. But then, too, I love this. In this first part, the first 11 verses of Acts 18, and this should be encouraging to all of us, that at this point in Paul's ministry, God manifests himself to Paul in a vision and in this vision, God himself personally wants to reassure Paul. He wants to sort of just encourage Paul and, and comfort Paul as much as he can. And, and listen, before I even get into the specifics of what God says to Paul, which is huge here, let's all just pause for a minute and go, oh, Paul? You mean Paul, the great apostle Paul, he needed encouragement, he needed reassurance from God as he ministered? Yes. And so you and I need to be reminded, if Paul needed reassurance at times and comfort and encouragement from God as he ministered, then so do you and I. And we shouldn't feel bad about it. And here's the cool thing. God knows exactly the perfect time to give us that reassurance to give us that encouragement and how it comes, whether he wants to send us it that way through a vision, whether he wants to give us encouragement or whatever through a song, through his word, through a friend, a Christian friend, a brother or sister, whatever, God will send the exact right bit of comfort, reassurance and encouragement at exactly the time that you and I need it the most. And notice what God says to Paul in this vision first, do not be afraid. God would have never told Paul that had Paul not at times struggled with fear. He would have never said to Paul, don't be. In other words, there were times where Paul was even afraid. And again, that should encourage us because I think sometimes we get this sort of erroneous idea that people like Paul never struggled with, with the things that we struggle with. All of us at times, even as, as dedicated Christians devoted to serving the Lord, sometimes we struggle with fear. So did Paul. That's why God said, don't be afraid. And then he goes on to say this. He says, keep on speaking and don't be silent. He said, you mean Paul? You, you mean Paul had sort of like uh, these feelings like maybe I should just keep my mouth shut? Yeah. Because let's remember to be, you give Paul some, you know, credit here. Every time Paul opened up his mouth, he was reviled, he, he, was, he was 
beaten. He was, you know, tortured. He was thrown in jail. He was stoned. So, you know, you would get a little gun shy about every time you open up your mouth, you know, maybe I should, should just keep quiet. God said, no, 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 no. Don't be silent. Keep on speaking. And then I love this. The next, for I am with you. We sung about that even tonight. I am with you. God is always with us, just like Nicole reminded us. No matter where we are, even as we step out of the boat onto the water, God is always with us. And God wanted to remind even Paul, Paul, I'm with you here. I've never left you. I have been with you through everything. I told you you were going to have to suffer many things for me to take my name to the Jews and Gentiles. You knew that ahead of time, but I've always been with you, and I will never leave you nor forsake you. And God says the same thing to you and I. He is saying to some of us tonight, don't be afraid. He's saying to some of us tonight, speak up and don't be silent. He's saying to some of us tonight, I am with you. And then he says this to Paul. He gives Paul a promise for this particular season while he's in Corinth. He tells Paul, you will not be assaulted and suffer physical harm during this time. Now, obviously, we know Paul suffered a lot of physical harm before this time, and Paul's going to suffer some more physical harm after this time. But basically, God is saying, in this season while you're in Corinth, I'm not going to let anybody physically harm you. And then he says this, because I have many people in this city. Now, think about that for a moment. That's awesome. Because that's something that applies to even you and I. It, it's an incentive to Paul. It's a motivation. It's, it's, a, it's an inspiration that Paul, he wants Paul to take from here. What he's saying to Paul is this. He's saying, Paul, there are people here that I want to reach, but I want to use you. And they haven't met you yet. And I haven't brought you to them yet. So I want you to hang in there. I want you not to be afraid. I want you to keep speaking because I have many people still to come to know Christ and I want to use you to do it. And so you've got to not be afraid. You've got to keep speaking up. You've got to keep being bold and courageous. You've got to keep knowing I'm with you because i got many people in this city. Think about that in our own life and even in the life of our church. God wants us as the Oasis Church to keep on keeping on because he's got many people in this community right around here that either is going to come to know the Lord through our ministry or be a Christian who can be strengthened through our ministry. We've we got to keep on going because there's still many people in this area that God wants to bring here. Same thing with our individual lives. He wants to encourage us so that we'll keep on living the life that he wants us to live, a life that can win people over, a, a, a life that, that can that can draw people to, to Christ because he's got people that he hasn't even brought into our life yet. See, it's not just about the people that we know and we're ministering to now. That's great, and we never take our eyes off of those. But in hope and in inspiration and motivation, he also says, and I've got more to come. I've got more to come. I've got more to bring to you so that I can use your life to make an impact and be an influence on them. So I love that. And then, so then the Bible tells us, after this encouragement, verse 11, Paul stayed for a year and a half in Corinth teaching the word of God. Well, that's the first section. We're not going to spend too much time on this second section, verses 12 through 17, because in some ways it's like, I wonder why Luke, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, even recorded this. But 
there, there's a couple things here worth noting. First of all, you'll notice we are introduced to a man by the name of Galillo. He is called the proconsul of Achaia. It's sort of a similar thing to saying he's the governor of Achaia. And the Bible says that these Jews begin to assault or attack Paul. Now, they're not physically, literally harming him. The word in the original language basically means they rose up as one against him and they seized him, they grabbed a hold of him, and they brought him before the governor, before the judgment seat, and they say, they're accusing that this man is teaching things contrary to our law. And Paul begins to speak, and the governor interrupts him and says, nope, I'm not even here in this case. He says, this is not a matter for the state. This is, a, this is a dispute, this is a feud between you Jews of your own religion, of your own disputing of your own laws. That's not something that I care about, nor am I concerned about, nor do I want to get involved with. So the Bible says he pushed them away from the judgment seat. Now the Bible does tell us one thing that he says that's interesting. He says, settle this yourself. And the reason I bring that up is because in the book of 1 Corinthians that Paul writes to these Corinthian believers, remember when they begin to take each other to the law courts and, and stand before uh, unbelieving judges and magistrates? And Paul says, guys, Christians ought to be able to settle disputes themselves rather than having to go to the governing authorities. And so I thought it was interesting that that phrase that Galillo used, settle this yourselves, is exactly the same concept that Paul used when he addressed the Corinthians later on uh, in 1 Corinthians about don't take your disputes amongst each other to the governing authorities that aren't even believers. If you as believers who have the Spirit of God and the Word of God can't settle it with yourselves, Paul's saying there's something wrong. And then the Bible says this. It says that Sothenes, the new leader of the synagogue, somehow gets caught up in all of this, and they beat him, basically. Which, by the way, then reminds us that Crispus, when he became a believer, he and his household, back in that first section, obviously had to give up being the leader of the synagogue. He got kicked out of the synagogue. One way you get kicked out of the synagogue is believe in Jesus Christ as the Messiah, right? And now his replacement, Sosthenes, he's getting beat before the judgment seat. It's not a good day to be the leader of the synagogue, right? So that's the second section. Then we come to the third section, beginning in verse 18, where the Bible tells us that Paul stays a little while longer in Corinth, but then feels led to go on to Syria. And as he's traveling through Syria, the Bible makes this Statement Again, sometimes we wonder, why does Luke include certain things and not others? Why does he amp not amplify other, you know, certain things that I would be interested in? And then he brings up other things and he doesn't go on into more detail. I don't know. I don't know. But this is one of those curious things. But I will say this. I think it's something worth pausing and talking about for a minute. The Bible tells us that while Paul was in Sancria that he shaved his head because he had made a vow. And the reason I want to stop here is because I think this is significant, and that's why Luke recorded it. Now, we know that Paul was not about externals. We know that Paul was not about works. He was about grace. 
He was not about external things. He was about internal things. You know, he, he was one of the champions for let's not do circumcision unless it is a way to maybe increase our evangelistic platform. So why does Paul shave his head, do this external thing, because he had made a vow? I think for this reason. Again, I want to be careful here. This wouldn't necessarily be something that would be for every Christian. This is something that Paul felt he needed to do, and it's something that other Christians, not necessarily shaving your head, because nobody would know whether I did that or not. Uh, I'm not saying this particular thing, but some Christians may feel like, yeah, I, I would like to do something like this. What's Paul doing here? Well, I believe that by Paul taking this vow, and what this vow was is really the Nazarite vow, is Paul was going from one level of his Christian walk now to another. He, he, he was sort of making a, a new commitment to the Lord as far as, as where he was with the Lord. And, and, and he wanted to mark the moment. He wanted to sort of memorialize it. And, and, and this wasn't so much for other people because in the ancient world, there were a lot of bald men and, and men who had shaved their head. So it wasn't like people were going to notice that Paul had a bald head and all of a sudden, oh, he, he must you know, have done something. No, this was more just something between Paul and God that he wanted to do to mark the moment that he had made this sort of renewed commitment and went from this level of, of commitment and devotion, now he's even taking it up a notch, if you will. And that's why he did it. Again, every Christian might not feel like, I need to do something external like that to mark a moment where I've made a renewed commitment to the Lord, but others might. And all I wanted to say tonight is, it's okay if you do, but it's okay if you don't. But I do, I do think this. I think what this is reminding us of is it's not that we get caught up in the physicals and the externals, but there are times where doing something physically, doing something externally, even like, you know, sometimes coming forward or something like that at, at a church service or something, can mark the moment, and it can be, it's just like even baptism. We know that baptism does not save us, but baptism is an important sort of symbolic thing we do outwardly to show this is a moment that I want to mark and I want to show my faith to others. That's what Paul was doing here. And it's important, I think, that all of us, every once in a while, does something so significant, makes some kind of of commitment that's so significant that we feel like, Paul, I need to mark this moment in some way. And I'm just going to let the Holy Spirit and you then take it from there to go, what do I do with that? It might be you just let that sit, and maybe it'll come back up to you. But I wanted to point this out because it was important enough for the Holy Spirit to point out what Paul did while he was in Sancreia. Well, then the rest of this part is really about Paul leaving Aquila and Priscilla in Ephesus. So notice the Bible tells us that Aquila and Priscilla left Corinth where they had their home for a while because they had been kicked out of Rome by the emperor Claudius. And now they accompanied Paul to Ephesus. But Paul wasn't going to stay in Ephesus. Even though the Bible says they begged him to stay in Ephesus, he says, I can't stay now. If God wills, I'll come back at some point. 
But for some reason, and again, Luke doesn't tell us why, Paul had this sense of urgency to get to all these places and visit all these places. So notice, the Bible tells us in this section, he went to Jerusalem, then he went to Antioch, and then further, he went into the regions of Galatia and Phrygia. But here's what I want to point out before we get to the last section tonight. And that is the phrase that's found in verse 23. What was Paul doing all the time as he went to these regions? He was strengthening all the disciples. That's a huge phrase. Because again, what's that saying to us? That it's not enough to be a believer in Jesus Christ. I must be a disciple. And even as I become a disciple of Jesus, a devoted follower of Jesus, I will continually need to be strengthened. God will continually want to make you and I stronger and stronger and stronger through our life. And that's why it's so sad when Christians think that once I become a believer, then I'm, I'm good to go. I don't need to spiritually grow. I don't need to spiritually mature. I don't need to get engaged with God's word and prayer and worship and the church and fellow Christians and all that. I can just stay where I'm at. It's like, no, because that will be a very weakened condition and you will make yourself vulnerable in that condition. The only way is even we talked about Sunday that we will be able to successfully navigate things like trials in our life and to be able to let endurance have its perfect work is when we are strong enough to be able to handle those things because of the knowledge and the wisdom that God gives us. That's a strong believer. And so Paul, everywhere he went, he was strengthening all the disciples. That's Christ's vision for his church, that you and I would become disciples who are willing to be strengthened and made stronger throughout our life, but also that we would be willing to be used by God to make others stronger. That's what I hope our church is all about, is that we're a church where when people come through the worship and through the word, they are strengthened, that they are growing stronger. That's what it's all about, folks so that we don't stay here, but that we keep making progress and moving forward. Well, speaking of that, let's get to the last section. We are introduced in this section, beginning in verse 24, to a man named Apollos, a very interesting character. I don't have time to go into it tonight, but there's one book of the Bible that no one knows except God who wrote it. I mean, we know that there was a human author, but it's the one book of the Bible that nobody knows who the author, human author is. We know God is obviously the author of the Bible, and that's the book of Hebrews. If somebody was to ask me, Jeff, what is your best guess of who you think wrote the book of Hebrews? I would tell you I think Apollos. I have my reasons. I, again, we don't have time to go into that. That's not what's important here, but here's what is important. The Bible tells us that this man, Apollos, was first of all from Alexandria, which means he was an Egyptian. It goes on to tell us that he came to Ephesus, where he's going to meet here in just a little bit, Aquila and Priscilla. A couple things about Apollos that we can apply to our lives. First of all, it says he was a very gifted man because he was an eloquent speaker. But beyond that, it says he was well-versed in the scriptures. That meant that this man immersed himself and saturated himself in the scriptures. It meant that he was a student of the word, the Old Testament at this time. It meant that he meditated on the word of God day and night and through 
practice, if you will, became proficient in the word of God. That's God's vision for his people, is that we would be the same. See, because why? Because God says, my word is a sword. It is the sword of the spirit. And Apollos knew how to use the sword. He knew how to use the weapon that God put in his hand. And too many Christians have this very powerful weapon, the sword of the spirit, as Paul calls it in Ephesians 6, but they don't know how to use it properly. This man, he did. That's what well-versed in the scriptures means. All of us need to continue to grow in our knowledge of the scriptures. But then it also says this about Apollos. It says that with great enthusiasm, he taught accurately the truth about Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. With great enthusiasm. Here's a man who has energy and vitality and passion for what he's doing. And that is a great example for us as well. Not only being well-versed in the scriptures, becoming proficient in something through practice, but also bringing a passion to what we do. Colossians 3.23, Paul tells the Colossians, do everything that you do as a Christian with great enthusiasm, as unto the Lord and not unto people. In other words, everything that we do, we should do enthusiastically with passion and energy because we're doing it ultimately for God. Bring our enthusiasm, bring our passion. That was Apollos. Then the other thing that we see in Apollos' life is the Bible says with great courage, very courageously, he spoke out in the synagogue telling people that Jesus is the Messiah. So here's the three things that we need to look at. Well-versed in the scriptures, enthusiastic, and then courageous. Man, when you, when you have those things operating in your life as a Christian, God can really use you as he used Apollos. But notice something else in verse 26. The Bible tells us that when Aquila and Priscilla heard Apollos, that they took him aside and explained the way of God even more accurately to him. Now, there's a couple things at play here. Let's first talk about Aquila and Priscilla. Here's a couple who wanted to spend their life sort of mostly behind the scenes, strengthening God's people, strengthening the church by discipling people like Apollos. Mostly a behind-the-scenes ministry, but very important in strengthening the people of God. But here's the thing. When you and I are involved in strengthening other believers and discipling them like Aquila and Priscilla did Apollos, you and I have to be wise and we have to be strategic because you and I only have so much time and so much energy in our life to be able to devote. And we better make sure that the people that we invest our time and energy and our life in are really serious about what we're doing here. Otherwise, we're just wasting our time. And so you and I have to really pray and we have to really ask God, God, I want to invest my life in somebody, but make sure that I choose the right people to invest my life in so that I'm just not wasting my time on this earth because we don't have all the time in the world to invest. And we only have, there's only so many people that you and I will truly be able to influence and impact at that level. 
But let's talk also about Apollos. I mean, here's a man the Bible says is a gifted man and a godly man and a grounded man, and yet he's humble enough and teachable enough that he realizes, you know, I don't know everything. In fact, that's what the word accurately even means. It means that Aquila and Priscilla was able to give Apollos even more details. The word means down to the finest detail. They were able to give and fill in some of the gaps that Apollos was missing about Christ, about the way of Christ, the Christian life, and all that. He was, he was a dynamic servant, but he still could always learn. He still could be taught. And that is such a great reminder for us that all of us, again, Christ's vision for his people, that no matter who we are and how much we think we know, and how long we've been a Christian, and how far we've come, and all the progress we've made, and even how much God may have used us, we never should get to the point where we are not humble enough to be teachable. That all of us should realize, I still got a long way to go, and I've got a lot to learn. And that was Apollos. He was a great model for us of being a humble, teachable servant of God. And because of Aquila and Priscilla's investment in Apollos' life, I think because they had come from Corinth and Achaia, notice what stirred in Apollos next. The Bible says Apollos then desired to go to Achaia and that that was very welcomed by the Christians there. And the Bible tells us something very great, that when Apollos got there, he assisted greatly those who had come to believe by grace in the Lord. It means that when he got there, he was a great big help. <laughs> That's what it means. A great big help to the people of God, to believers. And again, that's what God wants for all of us. That as a church, we would be a great big help to one another. That we as individuals would be a great big help. Who are we being a great big help to? All of us should always desire to say, God, who can I be a help to? Who can I be an encouragement to? Who can I strengthen? Who can I make stronger? That's where Apollos was. But notice something here before we close tonight. In order for us to bless and strengthen and encourage and all of that others, we need to make sure that we are putting ourselves in a position where we are receiving, where we are being encouraged, where we are being strengthened, where we are being comforted. Again, Paul needed it. Apollos needed it. We all need it. We all need it. Before we can give out, we've got to be able to take in. We've got to put ourselves in a position where God, through others, is pouring into us so that then we minister out of the overflow of our Christian life. Too many Christians, the reason why there's so much what we call burnout in Christian ministry and Christian service is because we're not ministering out of the overflow. We're ministering out of eventually a vacuum because no one's pouring into us. No one's paying attention to us. No one's strengthening us. No one's growing us. And so we're out there trying to serve the Lord, but it's all one-sided. We're giving, but we're not getting anything. 
God sees his vision this way. You put yourself in a position where you can receive and where people can pour into you, where I can pour into you through others, and then you go out and minister out of the overflow of what I'm doing in your life. Acts 18, a further indication of Christ's vision for his church. Let's pray. God, we thank you tonight for, again, this great chapter as we see Paul continue his missionary journey, as we see being introduced to this great couple, Aquila and Priscilla, and this young man, Apollos, and how you use them, Lord, not only here, but in the years and decades ahead. God, I pray that something that was said, something that was experienced here tonight, whether it was through our worship or our time in the Word tonight, would ignite us, God, would strengthen us, would make us stronger, would encourage us in some way, God, to just keep on keeping on. And God, if there is someone here tonight, just like Paul, that is just in that position right now where I need to hear from God, I need a word from God, God will be there. He's never early, but he's never late. His encouragement, his reassurance will always come at just the right time and just the right way for us, just as it did to Paul. And so as we close tonight, let's remember the words of the Lord himself to Paul and keep these words in mind. Do not be afraid. Speak up and do not be silent, for I am with you. No harm will come to you, for I have many people in this city. God, thank you so much for what we've experienced here tonight. It's only because of you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.